Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this 25th of October. If you miss it, if you missed any part of hour one or you want to share it with someone else, you can do so later today at MyFaithRadio.com uh, where it will be posted as podcast. All right, so here's my, um, I have a like lead off question this morning and it's a serious question related to a headline of the day, but when I ask it, I, I know you're going to hear it as an unserious question. And so I want to set it up as this is really a serious question. I mean, what would you do if you accidentally killed someone at work? Because that's what happened to Alec Baldwin. So during a rehearsal on the set of a Western film called Rust, actor Alec Baldwin accidentally shot two people with a bullet that was mistakenly loaded in a prop gun. Uh, When he was handed that prop gun, he was told that it was cold, which means that it was safe. Um, But in uh, drawing the weapon and aiming it at the camera as the rehearsal for the scene called for, uh, it it discharged, and a 42-year-old cinematographer who is a mother was killed. And the director um, who was standing behind her was also injured. He was released from the hospital on Friday. Um, And so I I really want to ask the question, like, how would you respond? What would you do if you, well, maybe, maybe it's not even at work. What if you accidentally killed someone? And the questions that will now... Uh, be lifted up are all kinds of questions related to, you know, who's at fault and, and liability and safety and precautions and all those kinds of things. Um, but there is a family whose mom, you know, is n- not coming home. Um, and it's a lot to live with the responsibility of having taken the life of another person, even accidentally. And maybe you're listening right now and um, you were driving a vehicle um, in, a, in a tragic accident that resulted in the death of another person. Um, maybe you are a physician and due to a tragic accident, you had a patient who died. I mean, the list is long here, right? Um, and so let's be quick to be praying today for Alec Baldwin. Let's be quick to be praying today um, for the Hutchins family. Let's be quick to pray today um, for the truth to be revealed. And and for justice, yes, to uh, be meted out. But let's also be recognizing that in in a moment... In literally the 
the, the, the flash of light. Life can come to an end. For the people you work with, let me, you know, look around where you are right now. If you're driving, look around right now. Life could come to an end for anyone in any moment. And as Christians, we know the good news of the gospel and what it means to live as those who are prepared to die. And so let's be quick to share the good news of the gospel today in the conversations about how quickly life can come to an end. Um, Even as a culture, we discuss this very tragic accident on a movie set. We're going to have a conversation with Dr. Linda Mental up next. Um, we're, we're going to turn our attention to how, how we stand, how we continue to be steadfast and immovable, how we stand when we are so weary. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental is back. You can find her at drlindamental.com. You can hear her on the Dr. Linda Mental show right here on the Faith Radio Network. Linda, welcome back. Hey, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a little bit of a time. It has been a little bit of a time. Welcome, welcome. Um, Weariness. I think we are all, there is a weariness. Maybe we just start there. There is a weariness. And then let's talk about how we remain steadfast and immovable even when we are so weary. I wrote about this, Carmen, because I, I just was thinking one day as I was driving, which is a lot of times when I think, um, you know, I was I was driving my car and I thought, you know, this is getting so difficult in our culture in terms of the assault on Christian values. And while I'm not really big in the political arena, um, I do see it every day. I see it in higher education. I see it in the media. I see it in just cultural issues. And I see it in the church. And I see, I listen to Christian uh, young med students and uh, Christians in uh, Christian colleges and universities who have really compromised what they believe and what they think because of the assault of the culture on their values. And they, they've really lost their way, I think. I think we're really in need of a true north kind of compass moment in our culture. And so I thought it's really hard in my life verse is Galatians 6, 9. I don't know if people have a life verse, but I was in, I was encouraged a number of years ago to do that, to pick a verse, figure out which one would really kind of motivate my life. And mine happens to be Galatians 6, 9, in which, you know, the scripture says, and let us not grow weary while mm-hmm. doing good for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And I thought, I think a lot of people are losing heart. I think a lot of people are stressed. They're tired of the pandemic, they're tired of the financial issues, they're tired of, you know, their job um, issues related to all the closures and, and supply chains and people needing workers and, you know, fatigue. And I'm obviously working in the medical field. And I, there's so many doctors and nurses are just quitting because they're exhausted. And I thought we really need to, to learn how to stand in the middle of difficult times. And then I thought that second part that really motivated this was, so not only do we have a lot of assault on things that are happening, very lots of stress, but the Christian perspective is missing in our culture. So people don't get that hope and that resiliency that comes through the faith um, because they don't have purpose, they don't have meaning, everything is kind of random. 
And, you know, you, you were talking about in a moment, a life can be taken by an accident, um, like the one that happened with Alec Baldwin. And I thought, but people don't have any way to think about that if they have no mm. Christian perspective. It's just life is over. That was it. And how do we think about it? So just a lot here that is wearing on people, whether we're conscious of it or not, in terms of, you know, not growing weary and staying the course and doing good. All right. Um, my life verse is Galatians 2.20. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, we have a listener who has texted in that their life verse, I'm now typing it in, is Isaiah 21.8. So let's pull that up. Isaiah 21.8. And then he looked and shouted day after day, my Lord, I stand on the watchtower every night. I stay at my post. Oh, well, that's awesome. I like There's, that. We got, we got a guy on his post out there. I love that. Woohoo! Yeah. All right. What is your life verse? This is an excellent, excellent uh, conversation and consideration of the day. Um, and then this conversation about remaining um, steadfast and immovable, even when we are weary. I'm wondering, Linda, if there's some resources that you bring to bear on that um, personally. Well, I mean, I think staying in the word is a, is a big one. That is where I get a lot of encouragement. And I, I recently uh, did one of the shows for Faith Radio. It hasn't aired yet, but on spiritual meditation and music meditation and, and sort of filling your mind with the mind of Christ, you need that type of boost um, on a daily basis. I think that's why the Bible is so, you know, quick to say you need to daily renew your mind because what comes in all around us from the culture is so depressing and so dark. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's just a weariness that I, I really mm -hmm. sense with people. So staying in the word really helps. I think also surrounding yourself with, with Christian friends who can say, wait a minute, in the faith, we believe this. We know that this is coming. We know that we can stand because of this. We know that the Holy Spirit in us is going to help us do the work that we need to do and not drift off into some other space. So when you have support with the people around you, when you're immersing yourself in the Word of God, and you 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 know you need that as a daily kind of walk with other people. So that's why you know our show is called Doing Life Together because it really does help to have a, a strong group of friends that will encourage you in the faith. Because what happens is one gets down and then the other one's up and the other one encourages and you sort of take turns in sort of holding each other up. And kind of like, you know, Aaron did with Moses, you're kind of lifting the arms and you're saying, we can do this, we can get through this, I'm gonna help you through it. That really makes a difference. All right, we're gonna read some more of your life verses, which you are so dutifully texting in right now, which is super fun. So if you wanna text in your life verse, you can do so at 877 9332484 we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental. All right, we have Deborah texting in with Psalm 32:8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental, you can find her at drlindamental.com. Uh, Linda, here are a few other life verses of those who have texted in their life verse uh, to us this morning. All right, we have uh, we have a listener 
offering up Matthew 6.33. I'd have to click. Um, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Amen. That's Mary's life verse. Um, I think we we shared Doug's life verse from Psalm 27.14. We also have uh, a listener coming in with Philippians Chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We'll read more of them um, at the end of the hour. Linda, let's... um, Let's have a conversation about um, emotions <clears throat> and how, like, how I regulate my emotions in a culture that lacks every kind of restraint. Oh, boy, and that's a great way to put it because it's just that, you know, we're, our stress is out of control. The way people are responding is in a lot of anger and, you know, just being, I, I guess, un, unrelenting in sort of just letting everything hang out. So, one of the things that I, I teach, um, I used to teach this to patients, I teach it to med students and other people, is this way of regulating uh, that is from uh, the emotional intelligence literature. And so one of the things that happens is that when we get really, really stressed, it activates our stress response, right? So that's that fight or flight thing that happens in our bodies. And we get really emotional, we get real stressed, we get upset, we get angry, we get you know, worked up in whatever way. When that happens, something happens to us in the brain that is called the amygdala hijack. And that's a turn from Daniel, a psychologist years ago, Daniel Goleman, who's a big emotional intelligence guru. And what he what he describes is in the brain, what happens is when you get really, really upset. So like if you're in an argument with your spouse and they say something and you get really upset at them, you suddenly are having what is called an amygdala hijack in the brain. And that basically is that the the amygdala, which is the feeling part of the brain, hijacks the thinking part of the brain. And you just don't think, you just react, and you just feel stressed, and you just feel anxious or upset or whatever that emotion is. When that happens, you have to learn to regulate that or things go poorly. So one of the things that I teach is that it takes six seconds for those brain chemicals to really go on, to really get activated. In that time, you can stop that hijacking from happening if you do a couple of things. If you, first of all, just take a few deep breaths, because once your, um, your fight or flight system in your body, the stress response is activated, it starts to act like danger, 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 and you've got to calm it down. So taking a few deep breaths is incompatible with tension and stress. So breathing slows everything down and it takes about, you know, six seconds for that, those chemicals in your brain to dissipate that strong emotional reaction. So if you can just breathe six times and then you can say, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling upset. If you name your emotion, we used to have a saying in therapy where we'd say, name it to tame it. Mm. So you name it and that engages the thinking part of the brain. So the, the whole idea here is to move move that hijacking from the feeling part back to the thinking part so you can calm down and you can think. And one of the best ways you do that when you're really, really upset is not only to breathe and maybe name the emotion, but then do something distracting. 
So count backwards uh, from 10, uh, name three cities that begin with the letter A, uh, think about um, the lamp in the room or something else. When you distract the brain like that, it takes the emotional part of the brain offline and puts that thinking part online. And that helps you then regulate your emotion. So deep breathe, label it, and then distract yourself. And you'll find that you'll suddenly calm down and that emotional hijack, that amygdala hijack will be avoided. That's a really good self-regulating technique. Oh, that is so good. That is so good. Um, I, I would say that trying to do the alphabet backwards would be yeah. super distracting for my brain. Trying to remember the Greek alphabet, or worse, the Hebrew alphabet, super distracting for my brain. Things that I knew at one point in time, but I don't really know them now, right? Bible verses that I memorized at one point in time, and then I'm like, hmm, how does that go? Is that quite right? Like, those are brain distractions, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, I have the students do this right before a really big exam, a high stakes exam. They're sitting out there in the auditorium waiting to come in. And if they start getting revved up emotionally, they're not going to remember anything. So I have them do those exercises. Sometimes I'll say count in another language. So if you took Spanish, mm. try to remember to count like that. Or, you know, the cities one is good for me, because if I have to sit and think, okay, five cities that begin with the letter A, Annapolis, Ann Arbor, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going through the cities. That is a quick, and suddenly they find that they're much calmer when they walk into that auditorium. So whatever it takes, the little distraction technique is a good way to get that thinking part of the brain back online, which really helps us regulate. And I have couples do this, Carmen, in couples work all the time. When they start to get really upset with each other, they can stop and they can say, oh, I'm having an amygdala hijack. Got to get the thinking part back online again. And they just do this little breathing and distraction technique, and then they're calm again. That's what's important. I love that. Okay, we we really got people fired up um, on this uh, life verse conversation. And so I'm going to read a few more of them in the minute we have left. So Kim has offered up Psalm 1, in particular, verses 2 and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in its season. His leaf so uh, also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Amen. I love that. I love that. Uh, Lori coming in with Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Um, Bose coming in with Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Laney with Isaiah 62, 8. Trust in God at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Um, so on and on and on. I love this. Thank you so much. Becky's, uh, I'm going to close with Becky's uh, here, but thank you guys can keep texting. I love this list. Thank you so much. Um, here's Becky's, uh, and it's from Psalm 50, verse 15. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Amen. Amen. Linda, as always, it's so much fun to talk with you. We really appreciate you being here with us. I, I enjoy it. And I, those are very encouraging. Those are scriptures I've memorized. So it's really cool to see who picks those as a life verse. So that's a great exercise. And it's going to encourage other people when you share yours. So thanks for, for doing that. Well, and thank you for sharing yours. And thank you for never growing weary and doing good. We appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you again. Absolutely. That's Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com and on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. We'll be right back.
All right, one of our favorites, Andrew Peterson, joins me next. Um, We actually recorded this conversation, and at the time, I don't think I knew that I had copies of the book to give away. Um, So I can't remember if, if during this I say, hey, if you want a copy of the book, you should... Text the word book to 877-933-2484. So I thought I would say it now um, because you know you're going to want one. The book is God of the Garden. Andrew Peterson is the author. If you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies of the book we now have on hand, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Andrew Peterson, up next. This is Max Locato. Can we talk honestly for a moment? You are weary, wounded, and worried, weary of the struggle, wounded from the battle, worried that this winter will never cease. You feel far from home. Someone cut the ropes to the dock and set you adrift. This world can be a cruddy place. No one disagrees with that. Tough times can also be the Petri dish for bad decisions. So I urge you, don't make matters worse by caving in. Living as a person of faith in a faithless world requires courage and acts of resistance. Chances are high that you'll be tempted to compromise your beliefs or to remain silent in the face of injustice and evil. Tests are coming your way, instances in which our true allegiance is revealed. Everyone else gives in. May God give you the courage to stand up and stand out. This is Max Lakeda. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself I know it's hard to hear it when that All right, well, as you all know, the whole story begins and, in fact, ends in a garden scene centered on a tree. And here to talk about his brand-new book, The God of the Garden, is Andrew Peterson. You know him, award-winning singer-songwriter and author, most recently of the Wingfeather Saga which we all are anticipating the animated release of when it is complete. So, Andrew, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. All right. It is fun to talk with you. This project, The God of the Garden, grew in no small measure out of the experience of sort of being, you know, I don't know, trapped at home over COVID, and you live on a piece of earth that God invited you to then till and work. So talk a little bit about where where this book grows out of. Yeah, uh, the, you summed it up pretty well. We we moved to our little piece of land about 15, 16 years ago, um, and it's just been this slow uh, discovery of, um, for me, of a great love of place and um, learning what it means to steward a place and, like, really take care of it for the long term, you know, um, you know, I think we had moved a few, several times over the course of our lives. We were always looking for a place we could, we could live in until we died. And I think we found it at, at, uh, we named it the Warren, which is, you know, the name for a rabbit, uh, hole. And for a whole bunch of reasons, there were, I, I was reading a book called Ra- Watership Down, which is a adventure story about rabbits when we bought the place. And, uh, there were a bunch of rabbits on the hill, so it seemed fitting. And so that st- starting with naming the house, it kind of changed the way we thought about it. You know, we we now were a part of a story instead of just kind of biding our time somewhere. And so that has been this kind of slow build to last March when I got basically kicked off the road because of lockdown in 2020 and found myself at home 
kind of conflicted because I love to sing. I love to play music. I've done it for many, many years, but I've also, I'm 47 now. And so there's a big part of me that is, is uh, looking forward to being home more and more. And so suddenly being given permission to just rest for a year was just this amazing opportunity to pay attention to where we lived. And so the book kind of grew out of that, out of me being stuck at home and looking around and learning what there was to learn. And then, you know, it, it branched on off of there pretty quickly to, uh, to being a book about trees. <laughs> that, which I totally love. So my listeners know this. Um, we are tree people. My husband is an arborist. He spent most of his uh, working life um, running a tree service company. So, I mean, I, you're talking to a tree person. We are tree people. Trees mean something. I did not know this. I know, I know. You and Jim have some things to talk about. Um, so, I mean, like, if you ask our family what is Jim most likely to do when you are anywhere in all of the world, they will tell you he is most likely to find the trees that he could climb. And so uh, you might have to go back to the same place three or four days in a row if the, you know, if the cherries are ripe because that tree in particular needs climbing. So wow. talk with me, I know, talk with me about theology and trees. And when we talk about ourselves as Christians, you know, like why we're tree people. Yeah. Well, so the, it was very interesting. Like I, there's a little writer's group in Nashville um, that we, that several of us were in the middle of projects at, at some stage of a writing, the, the writing process. And so we would get together, um, you know, I think it was on Wednesdays and nobody would share anything they were writing. We would just kind of kick ideas around and, and shoot the breeze. And so I was in this place where I had, I'd been contracted to write a new memoir um, to follow up Adorning the Dark, which came out a couple of years ago. It was kind of a memoir about the creative process, which was, um, uh, you know, told a lot of my story. And, uh, and so the publisher very graciously said, hey, why don't you write a follow up? And, um, and so that got my wheels turning and I wasn't sure what exactly to write about, but I knew that I really wanted to write about place. And somewhere in there, I ended up listening to, I love the Bible project. They are just wonderful. Uh, our family supports them. And we, um, we were, I was listening to their podcast and there's a podcast series called uh, The Tree of Life. And there's a video called Tree of Life, which is just breathtaking. And it was the first time I'd ever, it's a 10 episodes so 10 hours of, uh, of John and Tim of the Bible Project talking about trees in the Bible. And I was just riveted by it. I was so fascinated because I've always loved trees and uh, always like, this sounds a little hokey maybe, but I've always felt like, felt the presence of the Lord, felt closeness to him when I am in, out in creation, especially around trees. And, uh, and so then to hear that, um, you know, according to them, the most mentioned thing in scripture next to God and people is trees, uh, and kind of have them tease out all of the significance of the fact that, you know, God put this tree in the garden, that the creation account, you know, the six days of creation, there's a correlation between God's creation of trees and his, uh, the fact that he made some trees to bear fruit. And then he also so tell created people and told people to bear fruit that there's this signal that there's a, a tree metaphor that's playing out all throughout creation, beginning with the garden of Eden. Uh, the, in some, you know, in acts, they call the cross a tree. Um, there's uh, there, there are just so many that Abraham and the Oaks of Mamre, when he met the Lord there, there's 
the tree of life in Revelation. So there's this whole theme that's, that's going through Scripture that just uh, draws out the fact that there tends to be an encounter with the Lord where trees are present in Scripture. And I started thinking about trees in my own story, and the next thing you know, I was deep into writing this book. So we have a friend of the program. He's been on several times. His name is Matthew Sleeth, and he has a book called Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us. And you guys are like, you know, totally speaking off the same uh, page. So he's a I former— actually read that um, book. Isn't that so good? Yeah, he's, he's one of my faves. You're also a little Wendell Berry-ish in, uh, in this <laughs> book. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, he's one of my heroes. Um, well, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, and Wendell writes so much about uh, the importance of place and paying attention to where you are and not buying into the cultural lie of always looking over the fence at you know, imagining that the only way you could be happy is to be elsewhere. And so there's a real discipline involved in that. I am often, uh, I struggle with that even now. You know, we've, we live in these few acres outside of Nashville. It's hard to imagine a more beautiful spot uh, that is more well-suited to my family and I, but I'm constantly having to remind myself to be content. Like, uh, like pay attention to where you are, like dig in deep and care for what you've been given, learn to love what you've been given. And so that, that this book, uh, as opposed to, it, it's funny when I told my friends that I was working on a book about trees, uh, you know, they were like, Oh, that sounds interesting. Blah, blah, blah. And I think I kind of thought that I was going to write the Bible project thing where I was going to, you know, tease out scriptural things that happened with trees. But it turns out um, by the time I uh, ended up sending the book to a couple friends to read, they emailed me back and were like, um, I don't think this book is as much about trees as you think it is. And uh, <laughs> they kind of helped me realize that really it's a book about the presence of God. And it's a book, it's a, it's a memoir about some seasons of real grief in my life and, and the way uh the 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 presence of God seemed to be felt. So basically, uh, if you were to, uh, if I think about some of the most significant spiritual um, watershed moments in my life, I was usually in the woods or in the presence of trees. And so at trees ended up being like the framework through which I could look at the way God has been kind and present uh, with me. Um, and so it's one part about trees, one part about how good he is um, to those of us who are grieving. It's so good. All right. The book is The God of the Garden. Andrew Peterson is my guest. We'll be right back. Go back, go back to the ancient past. your heart to the ancient past. Continuing our conversation with Andrew Peterson about his new book, The God of the Garden. Um, it's about how trees bear witness. It's about I don't know, encouraging you to get your hands dirty, each and every one of us. It's There's a mandate in here about caring for the place, not just the place where we are right now, but the place in general, extending extending creation care beyond the way we might ordinarily think about it. It's also a book about being the place, like, right, where God is deeply rooting himself um, and yes. people, people through whom uh, God intends for fruit to be born. So talk with us, Andrew, about being deeply rooted and branching out and bearing fruit. Yeah. Wow. Um, I have to tell you something. This is the first interview I have done on, about this book yet. And so it's kind of fun because I'm having to figure out how to talk about it. It's been very interesting. Um, when I've talked to friends and, and stuff about the God of the garden, it's been like, you know what? I, it's almost like I need to go back and reread the book again in order to really get a handle on 
on, on the thing. But really what it comes down to is paying attention to where you are um, and realizing that, you know, I think especially in, in America, we're moving at such a fast pace and we tend to live in places that are, uh, one author um, named James Howard Kunstler calls them no places. Uh, that America, because our country grew up so quickly in the automobile age, um, and there was so much land that, that we weren't ever, you know, we didn't grow up like Europe did, where there are little windy streets that were originally footpaths that were eventually for carriages and horses that eventually were for cars, you know. Um, so in America, because we have this broad, wide open canvas, we can just like plow down a forest and put a shopping center on it. And uh, it just kind of removes the the placeness of the place. And so for me, like I think one of the calls to action in this book is to pay attention to where we are and and begin some kind of movement toward rehallowing this ground that we're living on you know um it's one of the things i love about being overseas is that there's so much history there's just layer after layer after layer thousands of years of history all around you and the buildings and the stories and the books that were written and uh and then in nashville it's easy to think well we don't have any history um but i don't think that's true i think we have just as much beauty and and you know in arguably as much history we just don't really um elevate it or hold on to it. You know, there aren't many poems written about my side of our, our corner of Davidson County in Nashville. You know, <laughs> you can't go back and read Wordsworth's poem about Nashville. Um, but why? What, like, what's to stop us from being, beginning to, like, reclaim some of that sacredness of space and, and live in such a way that transforms the place we are, that is around us um, and, and kind of point is, becomes a signpost to the coming kingdom? You know, um, where like we don't have to wait for the new creation to begin the project of making all, all things new. You know, uh, I think that part of the Lord's prayer, which is let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, means that right now we get to look at the world around us and ask ourselves, um, what would God want this place to look like, feel like? How do we love our neighbors? And one of the ways that we love our neighbors is in the things we build and uh, mm -hmm. and the way that cities work and neighborhoods and and uh and so i don't know like the the book meanders all over the place but it kind of like ends up be, uh being in some ways just about reclaiming the sacredness of space yeah rehallowing the ground there's a little bit of rewilding the wild in here um it's mm -hmm. it's really good it's rich fodder we talk frequently andrew here on the show about culture engagement as cultivation, like that that is how we want to be engaging in the culture. We want to be people who are, you know, tilling up the soil of conversation and planting good seeds and, um, and trusting God to give growth and producing a harvest of righteousness. I mean, like those are the kinds of conversations that I think are helpful to people um, in a world that that has made everything sort of so, so austere and impersonal as if mm. we're all kind of functional. And what you remind us of in this book, and one of the things you remind us of, is that we're not functional. That there's a there's a goodness and a and a and a grace and a productivity and a depth and a branching out and a and a dirtiness, frankly, like right to all. There's some sweat in here, and that's all good. Um, and it's all part of God's original creation. It's going to be a part of 
uh, the new creation. And I love that. So I love that it reaches back. I love that it reaches forward. I love that it reaches down. I love that it reaches out. It's, um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's helpful. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to hear it. I think that the, uh, in, in some way, like, one of the things that I'm, I pay attention to these days is how often, how easy it is to speak of things in theoretical terms and, and, and uh, th- to think of gardening as, as a metaphor without learning how to garden literally, you know, mm-hmm. um, in order to really understand the metaphor, uh, it helps to actually like engage in the, you know, dirt under your fingernails work of the thing. Like I understand the way the Lord works in our lives much better for having tried to grow, grow grapevines, you know, um, and learning what pruning looks like and what it means to, to cut something really far back so that the good fruit can come. Like, like, I think that so many times we, we kind of assent intellectually, we go, yes, that must be true, but there, it means something else entirely to know it in your body. Like this, this means something different because I have engaged in the actual, creation that the Lord made and said was good. Um, and, and the cool thing about it is like the, you don't really realize you're becoming a better gardener for like five years. You know, um, when I talk to new gardeners, they're just like, what about this and what about this? And I'm like, well, I don't actually know. I'm kind of a newbie at this, but I actually do know a few things. And I realized that I've kind of like, um, in, uh, in, it's become, what is it like osmosis almost you end up growing kind of like the way we grow in grace the the longer we walk with jesus and we we trust him when we walk in his way we don't really we don't really get to see uh very often that there's real progress happening you know um but it is it's always happening we're always kind of like learning this because it's embodied um so anyway that's that's what part of the meditation of this book and it was such a joy to get to really really sit and think about it for a year It's so fun. All right. The book is The God of the Garden. These are Andrew Peterson's thoughts on creation, culture, and the kingdom. Let me just encourage you that um, if you want to dig a little deeper and be deeply rooted and branch out and bear fruit, uh, if you're a tree person, if you're a gardener, if you wonder why upon the resurrection did they mistake Jesus for a gardener? Yeah, that's all a little bit in here. So invite you into this conversation and into the book, The God of the Garden. Andrew, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carmen. Great to talk to you again. It's a real delight. We'll be right back. All right. If you would like to enter the drawing for the copies of God in the Garden that we have here in studio, text the word book to 877-933-248. Eight four. I actually recorded that conversation with Andrew Peterson a few weeks ago. And so when he says it's the first time that he'd done an interview for the book um, and needed to reread it, uh, he then, you know, did that. So my my guess is that today, uh, as he's doing live interviews for the book, um, he doesn't need to reread the book. So there you go. But, you know, it's a good reminder that there are times we need to reread the things that we have written ourselves. All right. So let me encourage you to... Uh, enter into this day as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, as a person who is fully equipped by the power of God's Holy Spirit. You have saturated your life in the Word. If you have not, uh, get in the Word before you get out there into the world that God so loves. We want to represent Jesus in ways that are honest and true. 
We want to represent Christ to the world today um, in ways that honor him. So let's be people who cooperate actively with the Holy Spirit within us. I mean, let's just turn to the Holy Spirit right now and say, you know what? I submit. I am going to yield today to your leading, to your guidance. Lead me into all truth. Reveal those places in me where I am yet to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then please, God, do that work in me. I I want to be more today the person whom you have created and called and redeemed me to be, that my life might glorify you always and in all ways, that the gospel might be advanced, that grace might go forth even through me. Let's let our light so shine before others today that they would see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven, all to his glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.